as leaders, it is our responsibility to grow our people. If you want your direct reports to become better leaders faster, I recommend that you take a look at LeaderBits. It's the only leadership and professional development program made specifically for technologists. Now, most of the CTOs and CIOs who are listening are buying this leadership training for their direct reports. Learn more at leaderbits.io. Now get excited because today we are talking to J.R. Hayward, the VP of Software Development at Top Down Systems, and we discuss how a feature isn't done until it's shippable, tapping the next generation to drive innovation, and the importance of asking the question, how could I be wrong? All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So you're at Top Down Systems. Yes. What, what do they do? Top Down Systems does customer communication management, uh, which is kind of a changing definition right now. Um, and changing so much, in fact, that Gartner and Forrester, Madison, a bunch of people who report on that industry, are no longer going to report on CCM as just CCM. And I think we're one of the reasons why. Now they're going to just start talking about uh, customer experience, of which CCM is a small part of. And when I say I think we're one of the reasons why is when we started to develop this new product of ours called InTouch. Um, you asked me a question, is going to make me dive right into it. But uh, the new product yeah. called, called InTouch, which reaches out beyond what used to be customer communications management. Is that CCM? CCM. CCM okay. used to just be basically large batch jobs, sending out bills, sending out explanation of benefits for insurance companies, sending out letters, or even sending off letters from a CRM system as an actual rep involved and is talking to a person on the phone and fills out a letter. And it's gone way beyond that now. It's gone into SMS, uh, messages, YouTube, Facebook, all kinds of different channels to reach customers. And it becomes a big part of making sure that a customer, what they call a customer journey, I'm sure mm -hmm. you've heard all this before, a customer journey is a smooth one. And we would like to see it get to the point where you're on the phone with a rep on your way into the office, you get to the office, and now you're in a chat session, you know, a video session with that same rep, and you're having an interactive dialogue with them, and they're writing you something at the same time. And all right, can you send me a recording of this? Can you send me a confirmation? And it goes right to your text or your email or wherever, wherever you want to receive it. Uh, we'd like to see it get that smooth that you could literally go from you know, phone to desktop to you know, tablet to paper seamlessly without ever knowing that it happened to you. Oh, that's the problem you're solving right now? That's awesome. That's, we're taking the first steps towards solving that problem along with a lot of other people. No one's going to solve this by themselves. Right. Um, otherwise, they would have. Right, it's going to be an iterative approach. It's going to, you know, small improvements here and there over time. Right, and there's, you know, not everyone can be a, an, an absolute expert. For example, Alexa. I'm playing around with Alexa now because of my home remodel, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm playing around with it, and we know that we want to be involved with that type of technology. And that's really easy to do because everyone has done something. Google's done something for us. Amazon's done something for us. And Apple's done something for us. All I need to do is talk to those things. So yeah. an example of we're not going to go develop a voice response application that, you know, natural language understands when I said, you know, Alexa, turn on the lights. We're going to interface with that in such a way that we could have one of, an example, an insurance company of ours um, sends out, you know, give, yes, Alexa for your morning report or Siri for your morning report. And it says you have three emails from uh, your boss and you have uh, an email from, Blue Cross saying there's an explanation of benefits. Well, show me the explanation of benefits and it pops up on their, their screen, on their tablet or wherever they need to see it. And then they can say, wait a minute, this is wrong and immediately start a chat session with someone and say, this is wrong, I, you know, this should have been paid, I already have my deductible covered, stuff like that. That's where we wanna to get to. And again, we're not going to invent all those technologies. We need other people to work with those, to develop those technologies. And what I love about the world today with technology is the API concept. Oh, yeah. Everything has an easy to get to API, a webhook, a something. So to tie in, and, I, and, and I'll, I'll take it back to the more mundane. I started looking at it because my TV does not have an Alexa interface. So, well, I'll write one. So I started looking into that, and I want to tie it into my direct TV box. 
and I want to tie it into my light system so that the lights change when I turn on the TV and they can do all that from one place. So mm. I start looking at that and you see this, this is, it's just, it's just like the APIs we build. It's that simple to use and that simple to do. And I love that. I mean, that is taking, that's, that's a promise of technology that I've seen my entire career that one day you won't need a programmer to write a program. And oh, yeah. we're getting there and I love it. It's just, it's, I mean, might put me out of a job, but it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like we had David Spisky. He's the head of evangelism for Alexa, but yeah, the, the promise of being able to connect things is just beautiful. And going towards the point where we don't have developers, I mean, I think us at our, like the experience we have building systems, it puts us in an awesome position for us to be relevant when there's less programmers because we're designing yeah. systems that build systems. Well, it's, it's the, the, I, I, I mean, everyone complains about things being made in China, like the iPhones made in China. But I remember reading an interview with the guy at the, who at the time was uh, the head of um, technology, I can't remember his exact title, at, in, for China. And he said, that iPhone sells for $800. We get $4 of that. We are on the wrong side of this equation. And there's a lot of truth in that because the real strength in all of this is creativity. It's not technology. Because you can, you know, there are, there are, are you can call them factories, but uh, there's uh, colleges in India that are turning out people who can write code, 300,000 of them a day. So yeah. there's, there's lots of them around, but the guy who comes up with the idea or can put those all together and make it something really useful and really cool, that's, that's where the value is now. Unfortunately, there's a few of those people and that causes some, some employment problems until you know, everything else catches up. That's, that's the normal cycle. So how did you get involved with top-down systems? Um, well, a guy who I used to work with when I first started my career, uh, we worked for a company called data crown, which was a Canadian based insurer and they had a huge data center, data centers. And, uh, my sister was working for him and I was just starting, you know, I was just working every job at the time because I was just hungry and mm -hmm. I got a job as a remote job entry operator there. And two years later I was an assembly programmer for them and working on special projects. So uh, he knew me from that and he was having a problem. He called my sister and said, where the hell is JR? And I, <laughs> I, I think I was in Latin America at the time. And so that's how we got back in, in touch. Nice. So assembly, like memory systems. Yeah, this is, this is, I'm, I'm dating myself, but yeah, this was an IBM mainframe type systems. So, you know, there, it was interesting. I was reading this article about the rise of like hackers and security experts from other countries. And one of the things, the benefit that they had is they would get our tech, our old technology, essentially like the scraps of technology because right. of how cheap it was on a huge delay. So they were learning these fundamental principles of like, they were learning assembly, like right. 10, 10 years ago, 12 years ago as the thing that was like the new hot technology, which we have moved so far from that, that they they were using the, that old technology in order to attack our newer systems because we've since kind of, yeah, because we don't have a lot of assembly experts. We don't right. have a lot of low level experts anymore. Everyone's so far up the stack and they're learning and excited about the bottom of the stack. And they're like, whoa, you guys have all these gaps and they're just wide open, but no one even really is aware of them here. That's, that's really interesting because I remember Mike Fitzgerald, the guy who I said knew me from way back when and brought me into top down. I remember him. He didn't remember this, but I remember him telling me a long time ago that when he retires, he's just going to put up a sign in front of his house that says, I read assembler dumps $2,000 a line because <laughs> he figured he'd be the only one left who knew how to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's funny too, because before I had this conversation about five or seven years ago, ORM started to get really popular. I was introduced to them with, with rails and some other um, larger, uh, platforms. And when I saw them, I was like, oh man, when everyone starts using these ORM systems, no one's going to know how to write SQL like anymore. Right. <laughs> and then I'm going to have like a huge bit, just like your assembly dump reader, right? right. <laughs> I'm going to be like, I could write SQL. Like I know <laughs> people and you get the, all the high schoolers look at you like, oh, you know, <laughs> actually this is, this is actually interesting. Cause I think the trend's kind of going back the other way because one of the things that's happening in universities right now is you can get a degree in Java programming, mm -hmm. which to me is just silly. So I don't want an expert Java programmer. I want an expert programmer. Right. And I'd rather they taught them assembly 
and they knew how a disk worked and they knew how databases worked and they knew all the algorithms. I'd rather that because anyone can teach them Java if they know that. You don't even have to teach them. Give them a book, they'll know in Java overnight if they know that. It's but, text. Yeah. yeah, it's just, you know, I know I want to do this. There must be a way to do it. How do I do it? And is there a library that makes it easier? That's, that's what becomes your question at this time. And I've been doing, a lot, I do a lot of volunteering in the local school system here because I have kids in there. And, uh, and I was working with a few of the teachers there to push STEM and STEAM programs. And I started pushing the STEAM because I have a daughter who's really good at art but has no interest in technology and I'm trying What's to- What's STEAM? This is new for me. I'm just hearing it. Uh, oh, uh, STEM is um, science, technology, engineering, and math. STEAM adds art. Oh, very cool. So the idea is, okay, you want to be a creative person. You want to make movies? Do you know how green screen works? Do you know how you're going to do those special effects? Do you know how to talk to the guy who knows how to do those special effects? So Ooh, there's, a side of, yeah, there's a side of art that you have to know. And that's what I'm trying to explain to my daughter because she has no interest. I mean, she does really well in math because we insist on it and all that. But she has no interest in science and she has no interest in math. She's just doing it because she can. And, uh, and I'm trying to explain to her, it's like they're, they're, they're very soon, the only people who are going to have really good jobs in this country are really creative people, of which you're one, who know engineering as well. Because that's where the world is going. So she really likes art, you said. She loves art. She loves so then art. she loves science of the same thing. I, so I keep trying to, she'll know that one day. Yeah. She's, she's, <laughs> she's 16, so she knows everything besides that. But, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. When, when I hit that intersection in my mid-20s of, I'm in my early 30s now, but when I hit that intersection of science is art and like it all just kind of clicked a, a lot of thanks to like the Neil deGrasse Tysons and, you know, of right. the world who explained things simply when it all kind of clicked and I got that perception of how large life actually is on, you know, a calendar of the universe. <laughs> right. <laughs> At that point, that life started to make a whole lot more sense to me and, and art and science blended. But yeah, you, you, you use one to fuel the other and they go right. back and forth. Yeah. Plus, yeah. That's a way to communicate with you who, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I did a, a real fast, weekend thing for a friend who has a scientist working for her and they couldn't get some software working so i went in one weekend and so i'm talking to these scientists now i have no idea these guys are like phds in physical chemistry and stuff like that and uh they're way over my head talking about you know time of flight spectrography but you know between three of us we got the whole thing working in a weekend and i did it as a favor to start a company so i did it as a favor for a friend and um it 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 required the three of us to kind of be able to translate between each other's expertise. And artists have the same issue right now. You're not gonna turn out a movie today without technology and without technologists involved. You're just not going to do it. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're gonna, you can make a much better movie because at a much cheaper, this is actually interesting because it's, it's the entire, kind of explains what's going on in the world now in my mind, is that you can have a movie set in Rome and never leave your basement. That's how good the technology is getting. Never leave your basement. I mean, we have we have movies and set it's on other. Available planet. to me. In exactly. YouTube. Exactly. And like that's, I have a whole setup here where we have a green screen and we have a you know 4K camera. We have boom mics. I literally have better technology than existed 20 years ago in the best studio in the world for under three or four thousand dollars. Right. And available to me with one click Amazon within two and a half days. And all this is literally free. I mean, not literally, <laughs> virtually free. I mean, it is free. That would have been a million dollars back then, and it wouldn't have been on one one hundredth of what it is today. And it's the problem that IBM has right now. IBM has this huge, everyone, all the big companies have these huge, huge systems lying around that they have to somehow write off or get money out of. And I can sit in my basement and compete with them and have all, I, I can have more processing power than IBM owns. Well, maybe not IBM, but then, then a lot of large companies own at my fingertips, literally for one year free from Amazon. Um, and or as you are or whoever, I, I was speaking with um, Puget Systems. They mm -hmm. make these custom computers, and the um, founder of the company's name is John. And we were talking about how AMD is making a comeback against Intel because they're kind of capping out at their chip processing speeds. And AMD was always kind of like the lower cheaper provider, but they did some innovation, got some better people and Intel stopped progressing as fast as they could because you can only get so small. Right. And so now AMD is catching up and becoming a player in the game after being off the map for like 18 years. And so I was like, oh, this is really interesting, right? Because yeah. they ran into like a physical requirement and um, 
now all now the you know what's running through my head right now as I'm talking about this. When you were saying earlier that people don't understand how computers work, I'm like, so many people don't understand what you were saying about like the the hard drives, like how they actually right. work, the right. fact that they're magnetic fields and how data reads and writes to them. Like, right. oh, I was having that conversation about two weeks ago when we were out at the RSA conference, and it just when you sit so high up in the software stack, everything's feel so clear because you see the text. And then when you right. start looking at how security works and how memory gets stored and how hard drives actually put memory into a system and store it and retrieve it back out, it's really, really cool. Right. So I, my mind just went off on that. Yeah. Well, it, it, those things, the reason those things I think are important is that programmers have in general, I think, in, including, although I don't really, I'm not really a programmer anymore, although I still program. Um, I'll program, I'll program my lights. That's but the, all of uh, us, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, I think they've gotten late, not, not lazy, sloppy, because it's memory and disk and speed has just gotten cheaper and cheaper. So if I write this in, it's slow. Tomorrow, it's going to be fixed by someone who comes out with a faster chip. Or there's going to be more memory available. Or I'll use up all the disk space because I'll make a bigger disk tomorrow. But when you start getting into large systems, and now we're going, you know, we're, we're going back to the mainframe days, in my opinion, because that's what the internet is, the cloud providers. It's just a mainframe system. It's just a time-sharing system. And now you have huge workloads. I mean, you look at Facebook's workload. You look at what, you know, Amazon's running for everyone out there um, or Sky, uh, whatever the name is in France. I mean, they're running huge amounts of data and processing through their systems. And... And I literally had this conversation with one of our developers in something where he wanted to do something one way and I'm saying, yeah, but that's going to be a little slower. And he said, well, I mean, it might be 10 milliseconds slower. We're talking about doing, you know, 10 million of these in an hour. What's 10 million times 10 milliseconds? Because that's how much you're slowing me down. Yeah. So 10 milliseconds is a lot of time to me. To him, it's not because he's young. Like 10 milliseconds is like... That's a lot of time. Not when you multiply it by 10 million. When you start getting into the larger systems, there's fewer and fewer people who think this way. I think, and I, this is where I was alluding to with the STEAM and STEM programs before, I think you're gonna see a switch back to people who understand the hardware because the example I'll give you is a friend of ours asked me what she should get her son because he's really in technology. And I think he was at the time maybe in second grade. Mm -hmm. So I said, get him an Arduino or a... Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking you were going to say. <laughs> right. I was like, get a Raspberry Pi kit. Right, yeah. one of those. Right. So I said, or an Edison, one of those. And I don't remember. I think she got the Edison, but I'm not sure. Probably because she recognized the Intel name. But, uh, but she got it for him. Well, about two years later, maybe in their fourth grade, I went in and did a career day. And this is the popularity of this stuff now. They had to move me from a classroom into their audience because there's yeah. not many kids who signed up. And one, of, and one of my daughters was not one of them when I did it for my daughter's class. <laughs> she was, <laughs> she likes art. snuck out in art. She was painting something exactly, in the art room. Exactly. <laughs> she was looking at, oh, some author, author came in or something because she likes to write. But in any case, the, uh, that kid was there along with these other kids. And these guys understand hardware. They know how these, you know, oh, you raise a signal here and I, I capture it here and I get the interrupt here. And this kid's asking me Python questions to the level of like, man, if it was legal, I'd hire you. Yeah. Like, right? <laughs> I mean, they know this stuff. And they're, at the time, they were maybe 10 years old. And they're writing games. They're doing, what's that uh, um, name of the case? The big game that every, every kid was into probably still. Are. Oh, the mine, Minecraft? Yeah, Minecraft. Yeah. And, my, and my daughters were using that too. But they were, writing, they were writing components for that and putting all these apps out there for there. And they're using their Arduinos to do this and to do that. And they're writing some really, you know, low-level code. They're controlling machines. They're getting mm -hmm. signals from machines and they're making them useful to do other tasks. And I was, I was heartened to see that because that means that that level of understanding of the world of computing is coming back. Cause I think it's important to know that because when you're looking for that 10 milliseconds and you say, you know what, it's because of this disc here. Can we swap that one out? I mean, you literally sometimes have to get to that point where you're tuning a, a system. I mean, that's what Google had to do. I yeah. mean, they had to reinvent hardware. Yeah. Uh, well, Federal uh, Express that's exactly that's the innovation right like and those are the people that are rare in the workforce right now right exactly. like to get, if i mention like understanding an interrupt to a software developer they're like what you know? that's, that's <laughs> what my boss wants me to go to a meeting <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like i i we should you know what we should do we should do a series like like a short series of videos of you uh you were talking earlier about 
you know, I call them relational analogies, although I know that's like somewhat redundant, but the, there's a guy, Richard Feynman or Feynman, he's called the the Feynman technique and known in physics for just taking extraordinarily complicated concepts in physics and boiling them them down to where a child could understand them and that the true measure of someone's um, legitimate ability to uh, like understand something in, in its entirety is their ability to explain it to a child right? Like you understand stuff so you can explain it to a child using like apples and pears analogies. Right. And that's what you were talking about when you were working with those individuals, you were all trying to sync up your analogy. Like, Hey, what do we know in common so we can figure out how to make this work? I think I should, we should do a series of videos, like two or three videos, um, taking hardware and putting it in terms for the software developers. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I did that as uh, as part of the presentation I gave for that career day was I started out with a picture of, um, the first computer, which yeah. filled the, the, the Univac, not really the first one, but the Univac. And it filled the room. Yeah, the one you could walk inside of and you'd have to change the <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> vacuum tubes. Back, back when you could drop an address on your foot. So, the, um, so I showed him a picture of that, which was before my time. But I showed him a picture of that and said, what, what's there right now is one one-tenth of what you have in your pocket right now on your phone. That's how much room it used to take. And I took them through a series of them. It was get smaller and smaller and smaller. Then I explained to them how a magnetic disc works with the magnetic fields and how it moves the, the, the particles of metal around. Mm-hmm. And took that right up to SSD and memory and how memory they call a core. And this is why they call a core. And I took them through those basics. And they were able, I think for the most part, to, to, to grasp the concept because in reality, those are pretty simple concepts. And the younger you are, the easier simple concepts are to understand, I think, because you don't have all these things blocking. Uh, we get really good at uh, making things complicated as we get older. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's a classic example. There's a whole test they actually have on this. But the one I always remember is they draw uh, nine boxes in inside of a square. And mm-hmm. you have to get from this box to this box down in this corner and only cross two lines. And 90, 90% of adults can't do it. Because they're trying to figure out how to do it inside the box. Yeah. Kids just go like this outside and back in. Yeah. I was going to fold the paper over itself like it was one plane crossing over another. <laughs> exactly. Put the thing right through it. You're like, there's some physics for you. <laughs> oh, so, just crossing dimensions. That's, that's normal. We do yeah. That. For a kid, that's like there's, since there's no bound of a box to them yet, we teach them that boundary. That there's a, ba- there's a box here. You can't go over that line. Oh, okay. Color inside the lines. Yeah. And then our eyes get trained. Our brain gets trained to work within the box. Right. Instead of figuring out how to just get to the, the, the core solution. So how large is the current team? You're awesome, by the way. I'm super enjoying this. How, how large is your, is your development team currently? Um, we run between seven and 10 people, um, including designers and everyone else who's involved in the process. Are you uh, mostly local or remote? We, uh, we do some development. Well, everyone's kind of spread out. We have people in Florida. We have people out in California. I'm in Pennsylvania. The main office is in Rockville. Um, and we have some developers over in Poland as well. Um, a great team there called Software Mill um, that works with us. And then you have like a modern deployment stack. You guys are writing tests. Obviously, you, ha- you, you write tests. I mean, you can't. People that have been programming for a long time, they, they do the testing. Right. Um, we do, uh, I don't personally, but yeah, we do the whole, you know, write the test first, write yeah. the code, run the tests to make sure the code works. We go through the, the entire modern SDLC um, process we go through. We run an agile shop. Uh, so where we have a sprint and which I love, I love. Um, you guys do the morning standups? We do. And uh, for some of it, we, at first we audit, we tried to automate that with something called Tatsu. Which Ooh, I haven't heard of that. Oh, it's a really nice little thing. It ties into Slack. I'm sure you've heard Slack. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I've muted my Slack so we don't hear from Slack. That's what call. I just did. <laughs> right. um, the, uh, so Tatsu integrates with Slack, and it does your morning stand-up by sending messages to Slack, and each person has to answer. Oh, that's and awesome. It is, but it took away some of the interaction that we needed between people. So I kept Tatsu because I like to wake up in the morning or you know, whatever. I like to go to Slack in the, in the morning to see what, what, where, what's my day going to be like and what happened last night. We have people working in different time zones. And um, also with Tatsu, I can go to one place and see what everyone was working on. And I do that. Then we have a morning meeting also. And I have a much better understanding of what's going to be said in that morning meeting because I see what they were working on already and what problems they were having. 
So we still do the morning meeting. It goes very quickly, probably because yeah. they have it clear in the minds they did the tattoo. Thing. That's the idea. Right. But it will then say, okay, is there anything else we have to talk about? Should we like, because we schedule the meeting so there's time afterwards if two people have to have a conversation or if we all have to have a conversation because someone's having a problem and they can't figure it out, well, let's figure it out now. We have the time set right. aside now to figure this problem out. Um, unless it requires a larger group or a larger meeting. But that's now uh, Tatsu, they need the Alexa integration. Yes, they do. Yeah, <laughs> while you're showering, give me my morning report. <laughs> right? Then then exactly. Tatsu starts reading your <laughs> I bet you I bet you because Slack has a great API. I bet you I could write that. <laughs> yeah. No, but they can, yeah. But you can do that in a day. <laughs> so what are you really excited about now that you have like an upcoming project or a project that's fixing to hit uh, production? Like what are you excited about? at Top Down Systems? In touch. In touch, I think, is uh, we're, being, we're being called by the analysts that, uh, that we have the future roadmap, that we own that, we've developed that. Um, and it's true because um, basically when we, 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 we did In Touch as Greenfield, we did not take what we had and change it to be a microservices architecture. And that's really smart because a lot of the company, because Top Down has been around for a long time. 30 like years, 20, 35 years. 30, yeah, wow, 30, I was going to say 20. <laughs> so 35 years. And they're like resourceful and modern enough to realize that, hey, we need to just do something greenfield, like not try to fix something because it's been around for a long time. Earlier, what you were saying, how larger companies are trying to justify old stuff, right? Right. The appreciation of their assets. Like you guys are saying, like, let's just do it right and build it, build it. Right. So we built the microservices architecture, okay. um, which when we decided to do that was, was, I don't even think they called it microservices at the time. Um, Docker was just in its infancy when we first were doing the, how, how should we do this? I was playing around with Vagrant, Vagrant files, and, yeah. and started playing around with Docker. I said, well, this would be probably a really good way to do this. And we were even thinking on-premise at the time. We weren't even thinking cloud at the time. Um, that kind of got introduced by marketing that this seems to be the upcoming thing. I mean, cloud existed, but the idea of doing our stuff as cloud at the time because of security concerns and everything else was just, you know, no one's going to do that. Um, but we decided, like, you know what? Let's go with the latest technology, even if it's not quite ready yet because it will be by the time we are. Um, we got lucky. We picked Docker, and that was the right one to pick at the time. Um, I know a lot of people are saying that Docker is going to die because of uh, – uh, there's another one out there that we started. Docker Swarm because there's another one out there uh, starts with an E. What's the name? Don't remember that. But there's another competing thing with it, that, uh, um, which is really nice, but I thought was overcomplicated for our needs. And so doing the Greenfield project, we have microservices. We have APIs there. We have the ability to create an API. We, we tie into Slack with our, our application. So the ability to do a Greenfield project and have the ability to say yes to any idea until it's proven wrong. Because we also switched over to Agile at the time. Yeah. And the attitude of Agile is fail quick. Yeah. So someone comes in, you know, it would be really cool as if, like, yes, go ahead. You know, if it's not going to cost a lot of money, go ahead. But if it doesn't work in two weeks, it's gone. Right. You know, if you can't prove it in two weeks, it's gone. Um, that's an exaggeration, but yeah, almost <laughs> to that point. I asked people what they were doing before Agile, like what methodology. And so now I call anything before Agile was this new methodology I made up called chaos. <laughs> <laughs> the Agile process is, I think, how it really worked. Just we pretended it didn't. You yep. just said, you know, developer gives you a time frame, double up by two, you know, and then you'll still be, you'll still be late. Um, I think the developers always kind of worked in that agile mode. They talk to each other a lot. They um, check in with each other all the time. They just freeze up when management comes by and says, when, when is this going to be done? Well, when it's yeah. done. Uh, and when yeah. managers said, yeah. I but, was, um, I was being interviewed by some younger developers and they were, um, I don't know, probably about 12 years younger than me. And they were asking me like, well, when did you learn about agile or, you know, like, how did you come about like understanding your project management? And I said, well, so I've been writing code for, you know, 17 years now and I started writing code and then it was very difficult to, uh, get stuff done. So I created a series of organizational tools for myself <laughs> and ways to hold myself accountable on lists and spreadsheets. And then I started working with other developers and then we figured out a, a method, like a method to work together. And then about seven years ago, people started calling it agile. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you learn through trial and error of projects. And, and it was, it was really interesting. There were, um, 
yeah, they, to them, the, the only thing that exists is agile because they, when they came into the market, right. that's what was there. Exactly. One of the, one of the issues that we had in getting people to adopt agile, um, and this is actually a funny story in this is getting people to adapt to agile is the two things is one, um, not estimating with time, estimate with points because over the long, long range, you'll, you'll come up with an accurate time timeline from it. And the other one was that, um, actually that's three of them, I guess the other one, another one is that the, uh, they want credit for their points as well. It didn't get through QA. So you don't get, you know, it's not done. Well, I did all this work. I'm not getting credit for it. Well, that's not what this is about. <laughs> yeah. Not, you, know, you don't, you know, you don't accumulate those points and you get a trip to Disney. <laughs> we're just using, we're just doing that. Too. Miles. Right. And yeah. they, and they act like it's like, you know, they get tripped to Disney if they win all these points. So, um, and the meetings, the daily meetings. And I remember when I first was reading about agile and, and, and looking into it, there was a, uh, everyone asked that question, like, how do you get anything done with all these meetings? And the answer was, we don't know, but it works. <laughs> we so, don't know, but it works. Yeah. It's just a good enough answer. You know, I, I was talking with uh, CTO last week and he, this quote stuck in my head. Um, he said, he tells his team that you're not paid, like programmers aren't paid to write code. They're paid to ship code. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, and for some reason, I like, was the first time I've ever heard that. And it just like, it's stuck with me like every single day for the past couple of weeks now. It's like, wow, that's like such a great way to look at it because the most recurring conversation I have with upcoming technologists or CTOs that are just getting their first time in teams is managing their deadlines and not hitting deadlines. And I'm like, well, your ability to define done does not match your C-level counterparts version of done. Done exactly. means then the customer's hand. Someone's paying me, right. <laughs> yeah, not like it's time to write data migrations. Like it's technically right. working in development. There's still right. some more testing, but like it's on the screen. That's not done. Done's in production running in your customer's hand. Right. It works on my machine is not an answer to is it done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is right. So, you know, the other thing that really intrigued me about top-down systems is I, we had originally reached out and talked with the marketing person there. His name is John, correct? Right. Yes, John Zimmer. Okay, John Zimmer. So we originally reached out and was talking with John and jumped on a call with him. We ended up getting this conversation about like Kubernetes and APIs and stuff. Kubernetes, and I'm like, that's the one I was trying to think of. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I'm sitting here talking to their marketing person and they are like throwing down the technical knowledge of like a VP of engineering. I was nice. real excited. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, John was a really good acquisition for us. The, uh, because he has that technical background and he has the marketing side and he's very easy for me to talk to because I don't have to very rarely do I have to translate what I'm talking about. He more often has to translate what he's talking about to me from the marketing side. Um, and, and I, and I think that one of the talents of that a good developer or a good technologist needs is the understanding that you said it's, you know, it has to be shippable. Um, there's a reason why you're writing this and that's, you know, so the company makes money or that you cure cancer or whatever your reason is for doing it until you're curing cancer, you, you're useless. Um, if you're not, you know, if you're not getting to that step, if you're not shipping product, if you're, someone's not using it, why did you write it? Um, kind of thing. And working with John, I can, I can say microservices to John. And if he doesn't know what I'm talking about, he will the next day. Yeah. He'll go out and he'll learn it. So, and he'll probably know it better than I do at that point. So that's that, you know having that kind of a team is really useful, and that's one of the that's one of the beauties of top down is we I always tell people there's only two people at top down those who have been here for a few months and those who have been here for twenty years those are the two people and twenty years is an exaggeration but most people there have been there I don't know what our average is I bet your average is somewhere around fifteen years um, people come in their first job even and generally they, the only ones who leave are the ones who aren't going to make it. They just can't work in the environment and a constantly changing environment. They, people who should work in large companies basically where they, where they move slow. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember being amazed walking into a shop and I'm talking to someone and I said, and we're trying to solve a problem and we're selling, selling our old product there. And I said, well, can you just do this query against the database? And their answer was, no, I have to get a ticket into a DBA. To query a database? Yeah, a DBA has to do that. And every job is so tightly defined that I don't know how anyone gets their job done. 
And at top down, if you're, if you're a developer and actually if you're customer support, if you can't write a SQL statement and run it, you're not going to make it. And you can't say, yeah. well, I'm a customer service rep. Yeah. <laughs> and part of what you do is write SQL. Yeah. And that's oh, the thing. I mean, to be an efficient business, if that's the way your business is set up, then that's the requirements for the job. Right. And you know, where you have to be good at almost everything. You don't have to be, I don't expect them to go out and develop an entire application in every aspect of it or even design one. But the parts of it that you need to debug a problem that a customer's having or to figure it out, you need to know that. And if if all you all you are is good at talking on the phone, yeah, it's not good not, enough. Yeah, not helping us. Yeah. Because and the thing is, because there's enough people that can. Like right. and it's teachable and there's enough people that are hungry. And when it comes down to it, we as humans, we have the capacity to learn. And as cool as it is, and as much as we know about the technology, you can learn the basics in a day or two in order to, I could take anyone that can read and write and speak, you know, that's eight to 10, 12 years old that has a desire to learn. That's the most important thing that has a desire to learn. And I could teach them how to write a basic, you know, select all return on back right. to me. Now, now only grab the name. Okay, right. now grab the name in the email. Now only get the first 10 records. Like you can do that with a basic person in an afternoon. Well, afternoon might be stretching, but yeah, you can. Maybe. <laughs> Sorry. That's me oversimplified it because. <laughs> but, no, oh, but, but you're right. That's exactly. And that's what top down, top down, if you ask any of our customers, they'll, one thing they'll rave about is our support. Because for one thing, we're constantly available. We'll answer any question. We spend a lot of time debugging other people's problems. It's like, you know, yeah. our da their database isn't working and we're figuring out what their database is. Citrix isn't working. And we're trying to figure out what's going on with Citrix and you know, can't you get Citrix in on this call? Let's call Citrix. Yeah. Right, but you guys answered the phone. <laughs> um, so, uh, but also like all those, all those little you know, database Citrix, all these little issues, network stuff, our customer service people can do that or the most mundane of click the button in the upper left-hand corner on the screen and that will pop up this. Oh, okay. To, they're done and and we need that and i think that's what makes us so good at customer support is our is that everyone in our company does as much as possible of everything and if a customer has a problem anyone from the owners right on down to whoever's like you know sweeping the floor is going to work on solving that problem until it's done so that's what i really like i like that your your standards and your requirements are are high because because they are that way this allows you to bring that level of service to your customers and I, I can tell you that InTouch, which we've, you know, we've announced and, and released is the, is a SaaS product. Mm -hmm. And we brought in a lot of consultants to tell us how that changes what we do. Because the assumption is you can't quite, you can't have someone like, all right, now let's reboot the machine. You can't do that anymore. Um, now you have to reboot the container. So, you know, using the technologies, and this is, what, this is one of the things I love about containerized microservices is that if I have a customer who I need to isolate, I just spin up a container, route the APIs to that one for that come from their address, and I'm debugging in a lone environment there, and I'm not infect, not affecting anyone else. Um, that's one of the wonders of that technology. But you have to you're dealing with everyone working on one system. So we brought in consultants to tell us how do you do. You know, well, the assumption was we don't know how. The assumption we started with when we went into the cloud and SaaS and and uh, microservices and all this other stuff is that all the reading that we did, and John and I did a lot of a lot of reading. Um, was that we still didn't know because we didn't know what we did not know. So uh, we brought in, that's the most important thing to know though. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we brought in these people to tell us what we didn't know. And that was a huge help. Um, and we've done that. Um, we've done that in a lot of areas, like the GUI design. We brought in people who do GUI design to do that rather than we used to do it ourselves. Why are we doing that? Not, no one in this room is good at that. Yeah. If we were good at that. That's what we do for a living. And no one here is doing that for a living. Let's bring in someone who knows how to do this. We brought in this firm who did the GUI design for us. Now, it's a back and forth every day with them as you tweak things and explain to them how this is supposed to work. Yeah. But we're not doing the GUI design. We have, a, we have professionals doing that. But what you're doing is exactly what top-down systems did when they brought you on, is they leveraged decades of experience and they traded that for time. So like you could take someone that didn't know and let them get the decade of experience with you, or you can just buy like what you did. Now, when you, you need to understand Kubernetes or Docker's or something like, well, we could sit here and read all day for every single book, but, or we could just have someone come in, sync up with them from an analogy standpoint, have them explain to us exactly how it works and understand it 
in a couple days with an expert and right. just like you did with the UI. Yeah, we could have some designers and figure out our workflow with the UI or we could just go to a UI company. You're basically, we're APIing with other businesses. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's interesting you said the decades of experiencing because, because one thing that um, I like to do, and we do a lot of it at Top Down, is you look for really smart, younger people as well. A lot of the innovation that came about in Top Down with InTouch and with our procedures, Slack, for example, Slack is a perfect mm -hmm. example. That was a kid right out of college who came to workforce. And he found Slack and he said, oh, we should be using this. And I had gotten into the mode at that point of saying wow. yes to anything. We'll try it. Sure. Why, why would I say no to that? Uh, I mean, it's something I learned with, when I was raising my kids. When I first started having kids, it was just like, you know, they come to you and say, hey, can, we, can, I, go, can I go run around the backyard naked? I'm like, before I say no, make sure I have a reason to say no. Why am I going to say no to this request? Um, can I, can I, what happens if I jump off the stool? Don't jump off the stool is not an answer. The answer is it's 30 feet high and you're going to hit the ground and you're going to break every bone in your body or try it. You're only three feet off the ground. See what happens. Um, Let's try it with a piece of fruit first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Drop Let's a watermelon. Not, that's your head. Yeah, what you're doing is you're, you're like teaching them to think critically and try things. You're teaching them the science life. And when you say no, you you, you need a reason. You, yeah, you need a reason, and you or you need to teach people also to like think critically. Like, right. Don't just rely on you to say yes or no. Right. And you know the fact that oh, I'm tired is not a reason to say no, or the fact that uh, we've never done it that way is not a reason to say no. Or, you know, how much does it cost is sometimes a reason to say no. Yeah, but, that's uh, sometimes a reason to say no, yes. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, things come in because, you know, so I, a, a mix of the decades of experience with people who have no experience. I mean, it's the old Rockefeller story of he got really angry and he said, you know, you know what, get rid of these engineers, get someone out of college in here because I want someone who doesn't know this can't be done because I want it done. Yeah, that's, that's good. I love right. that. Yeah. Give so, me the bright-eyed and bushy-tailed that'll just attack the problem from every angle. Right. Like, They're too stupid to know you so can't do this. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And that's brilliant, right? Yeah. And that's why that's one of the things that I've done. And you know, so coming up, I was, you know, my dad was an engineer and he taught me, right? And then I, I got to see this what kind of engineer was he? Um, embedded systems engineer. Oh wow. Neat. Yeah. So growing up, my um, childhood is the smell of like fake electronics <laughs> and solder. So, smells. Yeah. I remember he was telling me one day he came home. I'm, I'm probably like 13. So this is, you know, 17 years ago. And I, I'm sitting there and he's talking about how he's working with another engineer and he's in their kind of like executives at this company at the higher level. And the one's telling him that it's just not possible to the partners, to the non-technical people. And my dad's like pointing at the manual saying the API calls right here. Like the chip supports it. We can just do it. It was like some right. buffer thing that they needed to do. And it was just unbelievable that, um, that that happened. But the guy's mind was so closed-minded because he had used all these other chips that didn't have the right. feature. He wouldn't even look at it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even acknowledge the API documentation. That, that can't work. Yeah, and so there was something about that story that when I, I got older and I, as I'm right in that change right now where not everything is possible. I'm not like, oh, yeah, yeah, everything's possible. But I get that, that weird gut feeling that like, oh, no, it's not because. And I realized that like, all right, well, that's just my feeling of experience. Now, like that's my, that's my signal now to say, how could I be wrong? Right. Like what could make this possible? That's one of the best questions you can ask. Yep. How could I be wrong? And then, and if I'm not feeling it, who, who where's that bright eyed and bushy tailed person? Who, right. where's that optimist that's going to tell me all the ways it could work and then surround right. myself with those people. So for me, it's been more about not like trying to prevent it from happening, but being aware of it happening and putting a, a system in place that allows me to, to overcome the negatives of that. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's actually a really good insight that, that ability to say, Okay, I, I can't figure this out. There's someone out there who can. Yeah, um, it's my interrupt line. It's my little, yeah. it's my little okay. web hook, right? Boop, right. oh, there's a problem here. That's Actually, right. Feeling this resistance, you know? There's an API for that, so. <laughs> we, we've got a system for that. Right. Oh, uh, anything else that we didn't cover about um, top-down systems? I mean, wow, we, I love it. What, uh, what exactly does InTouch, I know we talked in the beginning, you said a little bit about the ultimate goal of InTouch right? Where you were going with the top-down systems right. about the seamless communication. 
Um, maybe just a little wrap up on where exactly it's at today. Today, it's, it's available. We're selling it. Okay. Um, and it has the ability to create in a designer to, and this is a big ability, uh, it has the ability to, I'm trying to think in marketing terms here, but the ability for it, <laughs> if, you want, if you wanted to go in and create a communication across all those channels that I talked about, mm-hmm. it's one place to go. You can develop all your content, all your formats, and then you can look at how it's, it's, what's it going to look like on a phone? What's it going to look like as a text message? What's it going to look like in print? What's it going to look like on a web page? What's it going to look like on a tablet? What's it going to look like in horizontal on a tablet? All in one place. And wow. you can have 20 different developers, or not developers, because I take that back. The product is not meant for IT. The product is meant for business users to be able to do all these things. Okay. Or someone who has absolutely no IT experience at all should be able to walk in there and do this. They might need some upfront help from a developer to hook up data hooks or something like that. But outside of that, no developers are supposed to be involved in this. You should be able, anyone should be able to, not you because you're technical, an untechnical user should be able to walk into InTouch and create an entire communication package across all channels using shared content, shared logos, shared images, shared everything, and directing them to the channel that they are appropriate to. So as an example, I want to, this person may call in and say they didn't get the email can you, or they want, they want it in writing. They call in, I need that in writing. Click, the printed copy goes out in the mail to them. Or you say, okay, I'm gonna create the PDF over here and I'm going to SMS a link to that PDF to them so they go through my portal and pick it up. So all that is now possible within that, all based on rules that anyone can write. The rules do not require a programmer. There's no programming language to our rules. What we did is we took our 35 years of experience and said, what is everybody doing with communications? We know what that is. Why are we going to make them write a rule for that? Let's build it into the product. We know that based upon state, they're gonna bring in a piece of content because of some legal requirement. Why are we gonna make them write a rule for that? Let's build it in the product. Content, whenever you see this, it goes. All those things are built into that product. It to streamline the process, make it much faster to put together a package like that. And through APIs, tie it into other mediums, other systems. You need to tie it into your portal, it'll tie it into your portal. You want to tie it into Slack, we'll tie it into Slack. You want to tie it into Alexis, we'll tie it into Alexa. Alexis. Um, I keep using that because that's the thing I just bought, single plane with now. But uh, yeah. before that, it was the iPhone. So You just kind of blew my mind a little bit. I didn't realize that that's what it did. <laughs> that's really cool, man. Have you not seen a demo of the product? No, I've not seen it. Oh, you should request a demo from, uh, from, from John. But I've worked with some large companies um, in the medical field and, and then in the private, like Boar's Head is a cool company. Yeah. And the reason why they're, they're running through my head right now is because when I did a project with Boar's Head, I got to work with their graphics teams. And, and the way that the request lifecycle was, if they wanted to get like a header for or, or letter out, it was, it was quite ridiculous. It touched a lot of resources, right? And so it kind of reminded me when you were describing it, it's like you kind of have an asset management server kind of component because like you had exactly. all the graphics there, right? Exactly. But, but those are just, they get sold as just asset management and only the designers really touch them and then they get requests for information and then they pull it out or, or whatever. But it sounds like you brought templated content with an asset management server, but also able to API and integrate into all these platforms and exactly. consistency across your messaging. That sounds like there's a consistency part, which is really cool because we even have that issue with here where we'll have like a message we're getting out, but it looks different. It, it comes in like 12 different forms and there's like right. lots of ways to get to it. And it's kind of like, why can't I just look at how this messaging looks like on all the different platforms, how, how it could possibly get out. Right. That's really, I, I'm going to do a demo of it. That also the fact that you're talking about the, like the image assets that are done by designers. Your designer yeah. can do that, then, then bring it into InTouch and set it up there for you. And then someone else is going to use that asset. Yeah. And it's going to take it all the, the fun out of hunting it down from Dropbox. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although we integrate with Dropbox. So, That's awesome. um, so yeah, so it's a, um, it, it's, it's just a centralized place to manage communications. It, for in a complete customer journey, we know we don't stand alone. We know you have to have other products to work with us, which is why we did the APIs. Because, so who's your core customer? Um, you'd have to ask John that. 
I'd have to ask John that. So, I think you said you guys had a lot of cool like banking customers. Do you have a lot of we, cool we have a lot of insurance and a lot of insurance. financial um, companies. There's yeah. a lot of regulation. Uh, There's a lot of letters that go out there. Yeah, and we have like people who do do publishing as well. Um, I, I don't. The only time I pay attention to that is when it comes through marketing to me as a request for a feature. Yeah. Um, to understand but, the uh, why. Like, see. Yeah, but the. Um, but the, but the, but that's I mean they, they deal with the customers who are dealing with the stuff, and that changes my priority. We have a customer who needs this to work. Well, that's on the roadmap, you know, for two months from now. We'll move it up to now. Yeah, that's that's where I interact with that, and where I usually find out where that's coming from, so I can make sure I understand the use case. But how many? To be honest with you, I know we have a bunch of customers. I don't know yeah. how many. It's, no, it's cool. I was just, yeah, I, I did have in my notes that you guys like had a lot of, a lot of stuff in the financial world too. Yeah. Insurance and finance are probably the big one. We also have some utilities I know cause I've dealt with them. Uh, and, uh, let me know when you see a utility company using Slack, just personally, just send me a message. Using, using, using Slack? <laughs> yeah. Just because, because like be the, it, it seems like such an unmodern place to use Slack, but then I could see like eventually some utility company is going to embrace it. Actually talking to friends. And for some reason, all my friends seem to be either engineers or salesmen. Um, yeah, <laughs> which is a weird mix. Um, very few of them, like when I mentioned Slack, very few of them know what I'm talking about. And these are people who I thought would, the, you know, the engineers, the technologist types. Um, and they're all different kinds of engineers, you know, plastics engineers, stuff like that, electric, electrical engineers. And I would have thought when I mentioned Slack, they knew what I was talking about because I've been so embedded with it for so long. But yeah. I think it's one of those things, if I know it, then everyone must know it. And yeah, that'll get yeah. you to like when you yeah. spend your whole day in it and then everyone you talk to is like it becomes just a word in your vocabulary oh right. yeah slack it you know like right. slack it over i'll and, slack that to you what yeah i'll slack that to you <laughs> you're gonna slap me what <laughs> no, no no it's cool <laughs> although sometimes it does feel like i get slapped by the notifications like yeah. i'm like okay yeah. okay okay i'm here <laughs> i'm awake no it was it was excellent um hanging out with you today so if people want to find out more about you they can uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, where do you? Um, LinkedIn, Twitter, those are good enough places. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't spend enough time on those things. I'm more of yeah. a voyeur. I watch other, what other people are saying more than I say things. Yeah. Um, they can wall a message to you. You have an IP for that. <laughs> <laughs> they can send it to me on Alexis. Uh, Alexa. The, um, probably the best place to find out everything about Top Down in general is from the Top Down website and talking to John. I mean, he has a lot yeah. of you have of a these. profile on the top-down website, right? There's yes, like I believe that. I do. I haven't looked yeah. at uh, my profile in a while, but uh, sure. people are, people are gonna like you. I already know this because I like you. Like, so when uh, I like the guest like a lot, I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna get so many emails about this JR guy. <laughs> go to LinkedIn. So, <laughs> <laughs> go to LinkedIn. All right, well, funnel people to LinkedIn or the or your uh, paragraph blurb on the top-down website. Yep. Thank you so much uh, for hanging out with me today. It was fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.